You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Do you still have that muscle from when you were in radio where sometimes you get in front of a microphone and you say something from like 20 years ago? I almost just looked at you and said, Ice Cream Headache, the podcast. <laughs> there are times where I can, uh, there's times when I can hear, hear myself, but I don't start to say it. Yeah, yeah. I like and I'll I'll like Y ninety four nine, the best of the eighties, nineties, and now with yeah, like there there it's all in there somewhere and it's been a long, yeah. long time for any of that stuff, but it's it, it lives. It's not any of those things. It's rock and roll bedtime stories where we try to discuss the innuendo, the rumors, the things you've heard, you're not quite sure they're right. Uh about your favorite bands and artists. We we look them up, we do a little research, we share it with each other and with you. My name is Brian. And I'm Murdoch. Hey, guys. I'm super excited to tell you a bedtime story today about something I really am excited about. Okay. I don't know what this is, and I'm ready for you to wow me, so go for it, buddy. All right. So today's Rock and Roll Bedtime Story is going to be somewhat about Ozzy Osbourne. However, it's not really about Ozzy. Okay. If it wasn't for Ozzy, this story, there would be no story and how many lives does ozzy osbourne have we've kind of already talked about this yeah i mean a few um, a few months ago or yeah what i guess a few months ago we we did a story about ozzy uh specifically around him going to the wrong hotel spoiler yeah. spoiler for that one he disappears they don't know where he's at he ends up at the wrong hotel because he had done a lot of cocaine so uh he's already yeah. established his presence on this show and i'm ready for more yeah, and we've talked about him eating a bat. We've talked about that. Um, if you're a big Motley Crue fan, you know he snorted a bunch of ants one time when he was trying to gross out the guys in Motley Crue. He is out of control. He wrecked an, uh, an ATV a couple years ago. They couldn't believe he made it out of that. I read a thing where scientists couldn't believe the amount of brain damage that he's done the amount of drugs that he's done that he's been able to like basically keep himself together but he clearly does have there's cognitive decline with us i just right. like the idea that they're scientists that this is what they sit around they're drinking red wine after the fish has been cleared and they're like you know really though what i'm really impressed by is not the black hole it's Ozzy Osbourne's brain. <laughs> it's like how did he bounce back with the <laughs> ultimate sin Anyway, tonight we're going to talk about one of Ozzy's nine lives and about someone who saved his life twice. What? That people probably didn't know about. And I'll be honest, I'm a huge fan of about someone we're going to talk about because of my age and being a Gen Xer and when I grew up. But there's specific things about this story that I didn't know that are true based on an eyewitness account. Uh, that I'm I'm floored that I found out I was going to tell you about this and I found out more about it. So okay. this story is about somebody, someone who I absolutely saved Ozzy's life. And in the world of rock and roll bedtime stories, as we sort out things today when we're stuck in our house. Yeah, it, it's great to think about things that we really like. You know, yeah. things that make us really excited about rock and roll. It's also great to think about dudes hanging out, like dudes playing music. I saw a video, <laughs> literally, dude, I saw a video today. Somebody shared a video from uh, nine years ago. No, 
10 years ago of Weezer doing if you if you want me to I want you to or if you you know what I'm talking about that song yeah and Sarah Bareilles hey! yeah if you want to run if I want you to and Sarah right. Bareilles does a duet version that they did in a studio somewhere oh. and watching those clowns with her in a studio playing this music I had a visceral reaction of nostalgia and longing to be at a rock show at headliners with 500 of my closest friends. It was, it was a weird, I like physically felt it. And then I listened to uh, lesser Weezer for the rest of the day. <laughs> so I, I had a similar rock and roll experience, but a very different feeling earlier. Mm. Um, so I, I will openly admit like, I'm not a King Crimson fan. Um, I did see King Crimson uh, at Red Rocks in Morrison, Colorado, and all I could tell you about that concert is that it, I think it was red. That's about all I remember from that. So Robert Fripp from King Crimson and his wife have YouTube videos where they they yeah, get yeah, and they yeah. play songs. Have right. you seen it? No, but this is amazing. Like they do oh, like they do duets. They they do cover songs and they're duets, but they're like two minutes. They're in and out. Oh they don't do Tell me they song. do it's like somewhere over the rainbow and stuff. No, sh- holy crap, Ryan! So the clip I saw, the one they do, Inner Sandman, <laughs> and you can tell like he's kind of figured it out, and it's his wife. So it's Robert Fripp and his wife, and she's on an exercise bike with no bra, and I'm just gonna go ahead and say. It's very clear that there's no bra. And Robert Fripp didn't go, I'm going to marry a girl that's like, it's it's a lady that's Robert Fripp's. Robert Fripp's wife is about his age. So they do that, and they also do Black Dog. And she's dressed up in the, the like, leather fur kind of it, – it's the color that my mom likes other than gold lame. It's like the whatever. Anyway, so we're going to talk about someone that absolutely – people that love rock and roll or classic rock love to hear about and that is randall william rhodes okay so i was gonna say does this involve randy rhodes i feel like randy rhodes has to be involved in this you're you're a randy rhodes guy yeah and and because it like i remember being somewhere and being that that age when those records came out and being freaked out by ozzy and hearing and hearing it and thinking it sounded melodic. Yeah. And then there was like a much older girl than me that really was into it. So I knew that was really cool, right? <laughs> well, you make an interesting point here about the, the melody because I remember, again, we talk about this a lot, the dichotomy of our two upbringings. I, I grew up in this puritanical kind of right-wing household. And so I, I wasn't really supposed to listen to that stuff because like, especially like Ozzy, like it was very evident from the fact that he was eating bats that that was evil. And Mr. So, Crowley? So I, yeah, I just assumed assumed that uh all that stuff sounded hard and harsh and it doesn't really some of it and there's other acts like this too other acts that were on that list even marilyn manson to a certain degree pretty melodic right like i thought it was gonna sound like you know i mean cannibal corpse right that's one that obviously is on the don't listen to list and that sounds like you think it's gonna sound but ozzy black sabbath kind of sounded melodic and nice before we get back to Randy, I've never heard anyone go, Marilyn Manson, melodic. So congratulations, Brian. You're in a I category mean, all yourself. There is, there is melody as opposed to sparking there's or screaming melody. or, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's melody, right? Um, so, so for all of us that are missing live music, 
man, there's this photograph. It's not it's not the most famous photograph, but for me, it sticks in my mind. It's this photograph of Ozzy and he has Randy. He's got him like all the way his arms all the way around him and he's picking him up and he's got his signature guitar, which he was playing in the 70s, the polka dot flying V. And he's got Randy like almost like kind of like up on his shoulders over his head. It's clearly like this spontaneous picking up thing. And that's because Randy. Randy was five foot seven and weighed a hundred and five pounds. And really? he was yes, and he was androgynous because people used to ask him if he was a dude, and that's why he was gorgeous. He was clearly this long, beautiful, blonde-haired, golden, amazing-looking man. And he was destined to be a rock and roll star. And the reason why it doesn't it doesn't happen because the way you look or whatever. Both of his parents were musicians and his dad split when he was young. But his he grew up in Santa Monica, California. So obviously the the environment's pretty, pretty solid for doing that. His mom started a music school. His siblings played music. He started guitar lessons at seven years old and. At, at a young kid, they didn't really have a stereo like like you and I probably did. So they made up their own songs. So him and his family were kind of writing and composing and figuring out how to make up their own songs when they were kids. He graduated from high school really early. He didn't get like a GED. He just did like an accelerated program because he wanted to teach at his mom's school, which is what he was already doing. And he wanted to play music full time. And what a legendary guitar player i mean for a guy who like sparked out fast for everybody like he was a huge shooting star and he was famous enough that you know he died in 1982 and guitar players still like go i want to get that randy Rhodes sound you know it's very interesting because if you go and look like the guy doesn't have that many effects pedals like he didn't have a lot of gear I mean, it's 80s, so like it's not like now where it's like the edge and they've got me bringing you have your own your own roadie that brings in a ton of gear or whatever to make yeah. you sound like I want, I want to make state. this guitar sound like a like a trombone through a gas tank if it was a little bit of pizzazz. Yeah, and and so he he studied classical music and he had a, a totally trans an amazing like transformative experience going to see alice cooper with his brother and told his brother after they saw alice cooper he's like i can i i'm doing that i can totally do that too and you know he he actually had a cover band with his brother and he had a couple other bands in the 70s and then he formed a lot of people don't know this but he formed quiet riot he was in Quiet Riot in the really? 1970s. I didn't right? know that. No. Yeah. He was in Quiet Riot with Rudy Sarzo, who who was on our old podcast, Ice Cream Headache. And we're going to talk about Rudy in this podcast. Rudy which is Sarzo is the man. Great. Um, and Kevin Debro, who ended up being the singer in Quiet Riot, he actually didn't like him. He didn't. He wanted to have someone like Alice Cooper or someone really interesting. And and Kevin Debro like always kind of had kind of a weird attitude, but they kind of just went with it. And so he was in Quiet Riot, but he still taught. He was always a teacher. He taught kids. He taught teenagers how to play guitar. His passion was teaching. 
And despite what everyone else was always doing around him, that was kind of, that's kind of his center. Yeah. Like, you know, so when everyone's out doing rails and like doing blow and drinking or whatever, like he's teaching kids to play guitar. So like let, me, when he has, let, let me ask you this. Yeah. What's the ultimate, if you're talking to someone about Randy Rhodes and you, you want to give them the Randy Rhodes experience as quickly as possible, what song do you suggest? You go, uh, you go to Crazy Train. Right. And you, you go straight to the, the guitar solo. Yeah. Um, can you get that real quick? Pull yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Finger tapping. is so good man it's just like a good pair of headphones you listen to that man it's just like tickling your brain oh god yeah he influenced guitar players to this day and it is this neoclassical melodic guitar thing that exists within metal the eddie van halen influence is very hard to avoid but with him, like he was doing the finger tapping that Eddie was doing where he had his Eddie Van Halen used to turn his back to the crowd so people wouldn't see what he was doing, you know, but but Randy did the finger tapping, but he did the thing, the tremolo bar, which is the whammy bar. A lot of people call it. He did like dive bombs. So it was these crazy noises that he would make that people still use to this day. Right. And the thing is, is that Randy saved. Ozzy's life. And and the story, this bedtime story I'm going to tell about, tell you about is he saved his life twice, but we're going to talk about the, he, how he saved his life the first time. So Ozzy was obviously the Prince of Darkness, the singer of Black Sabbath. And as soon as he was fired from the band, he went through a incredibly dark period. I mean, I don't know how many dark periods or how many lives Ozzy can go through, but Ozzy was going through some shit. Right. Yep. And so before he he met him, he was drinking and doing lots of cocaine and he lived in a hotel and eventually Sharon got him out of that. And Sharon's dad, Don Arden, was a huge, huge music industry heavyweight and was not about this idea of Sharon wanting to manage essentially this washed up, drugged out heavy metal guy. It was in 1979. So the things that are weird because Diary of a Madman and Blizzard of Oz, which is the two Ozzy solo records that Randy actually played on, the, the time the timeline is weird. They are like recorded and released like backwards, like the, the release dates and when they're recorded, just it, it doesn't fit together with a linear timeline. But to just make sense of it, there's a guy named Dana Strum. And for any nerdy, well, let's for anyone that is not a nerdy, unbelievable heavy metal freak show like me, Dana Strum was the bass player in the Vinnie Vincent invasion. Uh-oh. And after they fired Vinnie Vincent, they became Slaughter. So he was the bass player in Slaughter. And most recently, Dana Strum was the bass player in the unbelievably overweight Vince Neil solo band. Ooh. However, so in 79, Vince, um, Dana Strum suggested very strongly to Randy to try out because Ozzy had this, he wanted to have a solo, like a solo gig and a a solo band. 
And Randy was very hesitant to do it. Yeah. He, he like wasn't into to doing it like at all. So what I'm about to read you is from the Wikipedia page. I'm going to tell you it because it's where it's cited from, but it's so freaking hilarious. I have to read it to you. Ready? Okay. So Randy brought his Gibson Les Paul and a practice amp. Like didn't even bring his gear and started warming up. Ozzy, who was drunk behind the glass, like not even in the same room, like where the, the, the recording studio, like where all the sliders and faders are or whatever. So Ozzy said, quote, he played this fucking solo. And I'm like, am I fucking stoned or am I hallucinating or what the fuck is this? And Ozzy maintained that he gave him the job on the spot. Rhodes recalled later, quote, I tuned up and played a couple of riffs. And Dana Strum came out of the studio and said, you've got the gig. And it was the weirdest thing because he didn't even really hear me play. So, um, so <laughs> after the audition. What? He, yeah, I, I know. This, this, a lot of this now from here on out are a lot of new things that I didn't know. Okay. So, so he, he returned home and... Ozzy was so hammered during this experience, he didn't really remember a lot of what I just told you. Like this account that came from Dana Strom and Randy, it's not what Ozzy's recollection was. Right. So Ozzy maintained that his first encounter with Randy Rhodes and the subsequent audition placed like the next day at a hotel. And when you put those two things together, it's very clear that <laughs> Ozzy's recollection is just inaccurate. He's combined a couple of things that that don't even really mix. And then Ozzy flies to the UK and he has Bob Daisley, his bass player, um, who he eventually, uh, Sharon eventually fires and has been in litigation with like their entire career. And they have an English guitar player. So Ozzy is just winging it, has no clue. And at some point he tells like the, the, the band, the manager, everyone that he has this am- amazing American guitar player. Right? So he almost makes up like this he does see him in a thing, but yeah. then he doesn't remember it accurately. The, what I'm about to tell you is unbelievable. Okay. So Ozzy convinces, um, the band convinces Don Arden, like Sharon's dad, who is still involved in Ozzy's management, which is totally weird that we need to have this guy come over. So, Randy flies to the UK, but he has no required work visa. And so he gets stuck at Heathrow Airport. So they are apparently supposed to send someone to get Randy and they don't. And Randy <laughs> ends up at a holding cell at Heathrow Airport. For how long? In a in fucking handcuffs overnight and they put him on a on a plane the next day. The fact the fact that Randy Rhodes ever played in Ozzy's band in itself is an amazing fact that that ever happened. So it does. So it works out. So he comes over, he auditions. Obviously, he's an unbelievable guitar player. Now, I'm going to fast forward here because 
there's so much I wanted to cover and give a little bit of background about Randy. And, and the records really speak for themselves. Like Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman are kind of heavy metal masterpieces. And Crazy Train and Flying High Again were radio hits. Flying High yeah. Again was actually a bigger radio hit than Crazy Train, which is totally weird because now Crazy Train is like Take It Easy by the Eagles. Like it's on classic <laughs> it's on all radio. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time. But before all this, Ozzy thought his career was over. His life was saved by Randy Rhodes. If it wasn't for Randy, he wouldn't have had this sound. The sound really was about, it, it was encompassed around Randy's melodies and how Randy composed everything because he wrote music. Like he, he created charts and he, he wrote his music. Now here's stuff that I totally didn't know. And this gets us to Randy's unfortunate and terrible demise and how we lost Randy Rose. So before Randy passes away, his relationship with Ozzy was incredibly strained. And I didn't know this at all. Um, so I, I knew that Randy Rhodes didn't drink or do drugs. He liked to smoke cigarettes, but he... He was a music teacher. He liked to teach kids to, to play guitar. And I think we've kind of covered what Ozzy likes to do. He likes to do <laughs> blow and drink and, and fuck groupies, you know, like that's it. And and that didn't work out for Randy. Randy was 22, I think, when he joined the band. And instead of being a person that was totally engulfed with this amazing opportunity to to leave this lead this hedonistic crazy rock and roll lifestyle he didn't have anything really in common with ozzy and ozzy's behaviors at the time even though his career really was taking off he was still getting hammered and they had cancellations of shows yeah and that really started to bother randy and at some point in this period, way before, you know, Randy had passed away, he actually told Ozzy that he wanted to go back to college and he wanted to teach. That's what he wanted to do. And Ozzy in his autobiography said that he knew that if he had lived, he would have left the band and he would have done something completely different. He had told Ozzy he was tired of touring. Um, so I don't know if you, uh, you and I are probably like very different Ozzy fans, but I do remember being younger and getting the Ozzy Speak of the Devil cassette, mm. which was the record that came out right after Randy Rhodes died. And it was all Black Sabbath covers. And the guitar player was Brad Gillis, who is the guitar player from Night Ranger, by the way. Mm. And so like recent, like in the last couple of years when Night Ranger plays, like they'll kind of say, hey, does everybody know that Brad used to be in a band with Ozzy? And, they, and Night Ranger <laughs> plays Crazy Train now. Totally do. Right. So so Ozzy's management told the band and everyone that they were going to do a cover record of Black Sabbath tunes. And Randy and Tommy Aldridge, who was the drummer who eventually 
Tommy, who like, like, I mean, he's like a holdover from the seventies, like the drummer that's not good looking. Like Tommy was in White Snake with Rudy Sarzo. Um, so Tommy and Randy told Ozzy that they absolutely were not going to do the record, and Ozzy found it to be a personal slight, and apparently was not very friendly to Randy after that, and apparently was kind of mean to Randy. Um, but according to Ozzy and Ozzy's autobiography, which is called I Am Ozzy, by the way, look, look how Bradyac he got with that title. Um, <laughs> Randy, Randy agreed to do this record that he never was on and fulfill his contract contractual obligations, which was a tour also. And then he was going to leave the band already on the table. So they had already had this agreement and conversation and um it's totally weird by the way rudy sarzo is the person that said this rudy sarzo in his autobiography said that that happened that randy agreed to do the live record this this cover record um but he was out the door right so their last show with Randy was in my old adopted hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee. I never yeah. knew this, which was mid-March of 1982. And in Ozzy's autobiography, he remembers. I don't know how good Ozzy's memory is. Yeah, we've already established it's not, but go for it. Yeah. Ozzy said that that after that show, that him and Randy were having a conversation. And Randy was admonishing him about his drinking, which I'm doing right now. Excuse me. And Ozzy remembered him saying, you'll kill yourself, you know, one of these days. That's the last thing that Ozzy says he remembers Randy Rhodes saying to him before wow. he died. So I knew some stuff about what happened with the plane crash, but some of this I'm going to tell you I hope is new. And I hope it's new to everybody that's listening because – I was kind of floored with the whole thing. So the tour manager, one of the tour managers, that was the bus driver who was obviously high on cocaine uh, the whole time because he's a bus driver uh, for a rock and roll band in 1982. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say 1982 for sure. It's like he's there's made- an application for bus drivers in 1982. It's like, how much cocaine do you do is at the bottom? It's like the answer is the more the better. All right. Yeah. Stay awake. Andrew Acock was his name. Great last name. So they got to, they were playing a music festival and they got to Leesburg, Florida is where they stopped because the air conditioning in the bus went out. Have you ever been to Leesburg, Florida? You ever been in a rock and roll bus <laughs> where the air conditioning goes out? <laughs> no. They're both similar. Neither. They're both similar experiences, I think. Some friends of mine in the 90s got a record deal and they got REM's bus. Like, how the hell does Ozzy have a bus? And the air conditioning goes out. So they they stop. Everybody, like most everyone's asleep. I mean, it's it's like almost dawn. And there's an airfield. So I don't know if you know much about this story, but so how weird that the stars line up like this. So this insanity is true. So the property that they were at where they went to stop to get the air conditioning fixed had an airfield. And the tour manager, who was a pilot with an expired license, commandeered a 1955 Beechmont Bonanna aircraft. <laughs> I think that's what it's called. 
and initially took up their keyboardist, Don Airy, which I've read stuff from Don Airy. He's like the keyboardist that's not on the stage. Oh, yeah. Know? He's in the wings. I saw I saw uh, I saw Skrillex back when he used to play rock and roll. Like I saw his band one time and they had their bass player off stage. I was like, where's the bass noise coming from? And there was an old roadie backstage playing bass. You can see him at a right angle. And he's like yeah. 60 and just rocking out. And, and Sonny at the time is like... 18 tops and he's like you know full emo hairdress and all that sort of stuff it was hilarious anyway proceed yeah so so he took three flybys of the bus I, I don't know if you've heard this story so the first flyby is with the keyboardist Don Airy and then the tour manager Jake Duncan so the other tour they're manager. just bored and he has access to a plane and he just takes them up to go like hey look we can we can waste some time running around in a plane one of the tour managers, the other tour manager on the on the plane, Jake Duncan, later recalled that Acock buzzed the plane to wake up Tommy Aldridge, the drummer. So this is like he's coming down by the bus, like real close in this small plane to mess with him. Right. OK, so that happens. So despite the fact that Randy hates planes I mean, this goes back to like when James Brown told Otis Redding to not get on the airplane or when when Waylon Jennings gave up his seat. Like, right, how does this right. shit happen in rock and roll? Right. Right. But the the tour guy, Acock, convinced Rachel Youngblood, who's the makeup artist who is on the bus to get on the plane they always talk about that that Rachel had a heart condition like so I don't know if she was an older I, I don't know the whole deal but for some reason Randy decided to get in this plane because she was in the plane okay too okay so they they go up in the air they buzz the bus a second time and here's where the plane crash happens and here's where our story ends, but also begins. So there was an eyewitness account, and I'd never heard this before. So the keyboardist, Don Airy, was taking photographs. And man, I'd love to see these photographs. I mean, these guys were stuck after this plane crashed while the police got there. I mean, there was, it took 30 minutes for a fire truck to get there. Oh, man. <laughs> and it was way too late. And they were stuck there for a while uh, for this crime, I mean, this investigation, right? So he took his camera out and was taking pictures. His idea was he was going to take pictures and give it to give the copies of the photos to, to Randy later. He had this telephoto lens. And while he was taking the photos on the third buzz by, he could see that there was a struggle going on. And the struggle was between Randy and Acock, the bus, the bus driver. And at this point, the, he could lit, it was close enough to where he could see the windshield of the plane and see them fighting because the wings were tipping from side to side. And at one point, he said that the plane was perpendicular what? and less than six feet off the ground so so this plane is it it's not an open air old school cockpit right 
No. no. Okay. Okay. No. It's but it's open. small. It's got like four seats in it, six seats? Real, real okay. small. Yeah. So he realized that it was going to crash. He dropped the camera, saw the plane coming, and then he looked over his shoulder and the, the plane clips the bus. Oh with like one of the wings. I didn't know and then, this. And then it crashes into the tree and like into a garage and blows up. Oh my God. Wow. Did I not know this story? This is all new to me. Because welcome to rock and roll bedtime stories, baby. <laughs> Ozzy woke up and he. And so his Ozzy's, Ozzy's on the bus asleep. Everybody's on the bus, Brian. So Ozzy can, can, woke can up. Can we stop for a second? Okay, so we have a tour manager who has an expired pilot's license, and I guess it's worse in a minute. By I guess he's able to convince the guy who owns the plane because he's with Ozzy Osbourne that he should let him use the plane, and then he's, I never could find out how he commandeered the plane. But he he did not have legal access to get to the plane. And now. is he high? Like so, the whole idea is I'm gonna just stunt drive this plane around the bus yeah and so rudy sarzo told this is a whole lot of bad decisions in one like i know all rock and roll bedtime stories involve a lot of bad decisions but these are astronomically bad decisions like you know the leonard skinner plane crash which we've covered on this show right there, there there is a means to an end we need to get from North Carolina to Florida or whatever it was, right? Like, we need yeah. to do this. We're on a limited time. We're on a limited this. budget. We need this plane. We're going to try it. They knew it was risky. They knew it was a bad idea. Lots of bad decisions. This isn't even any of that. When you said that they were on the bus and the bus broke down or whatever, I thought, okay, so now they get on a plane. No, they're just playing with a plane while they're waiting for the bus to get fixed. This is ridiculous. Yeah. So, also on the bus is Acock's estranged wife. So Rudy Sarzo, and I'm going to say this is conjecture. This is impossible. I don't. I can't say that this is 100% true. So this was in Rudy's book, um, but apparently, um, Acock's wife was outside the bus and saw the crash. So Rudy Sarzo hypothesized that. Was he trying to crash the plane into her and kill her? Or did it just flip him out? Uh, Because he'd been trying to reconcile with her, but it wasn't working. But I want to get away, because I don't have, I I can't, this is just pure conjecture. Okay. So the plane blows up and there's there's no emergency vehicles. So they completely burn up. The only way they identify um, anybody is with their dental records. Oh, my and Randy, Lord. And Randy had jewelry. So that's how they identified his bodies. They, they were just burnt completely alive. Um, but here's the part about the story that I trust that Rudy Sarzo, since you and I have spoken to him before, and my gut tells me this is true that Rudy said in his autobiography that given the struggles in the cockpit that was described by the keyboard player, that he came to the conclusion that, that Randy took actions in the last seconds of his life to prevent that plane from directly hitting the bus that would have killed 
everyone on that bus because no one in that bus died. It was only the people in the plane crash. And the investigation afterward determined that Acock, his, okay, so his license was, his, his, it was expired, right? Um, and also, he was involved in a fatal air crash with the United Arab, Arab Emirates. Um, and that is a true story. So he actually was involved in another freaking plane crash. Like before this or after this? Before this. Yeah, because after this, he was dead as a doornail, dude. So, oh, so he dies. Yeah, he dies in this plane crash. Yeah. Does everybody on the plane except the keyboard, the offstage keyboard player dies? Well, they, 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 he got off the plane because they, okay. they had okay, one gotcha. flight where the other tour manager and, uh, and the keyboard player got off and then Randy and the makeup artist got on. So the, the true story about this is that Randy Rhodes saved Ozzy's life twice in the last moments of his life were involved saving Ozzy's life. So the first time he tells him to get his act together, the second time he literally moves the plane. I think I think the first time he saves his life is when he showed up to the audition with the, the polka dot <laughs> flying V and the practice amp. He definitely saved his career, right? Yeah, for sure. Because what was going to happen? Because, you know, he didn't really have a trajectory. And once Randy was in the band, Sharon became Ozzy's manager. And, you know, she's... Do you say what you want to say about her? It's like she's an astute business person and yeah. she has saved his life definitely a lot. And who knows how many more times. Um, so one of the most famous guitar players of all time in rock and roll that saved Ozzy's life just by being in his life, by being his guitar player, saved his life. He, he could have died in that plane crash. He saved Sharon's life. He saved Rudy Sarzo's life. Tommy Aldridge's life. He saved all those people, everyone in the band's life. That so, is unbelievable. Yeah. So, so the narrative that you're proposing, with a little conjecture from Rudy Sarzo and other people, is that Randy Rhodes was the hero on the plane. He was the let's roll guy several decades before. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the one thing that makes it where it's not conjecture is that the keyboard player, Don Airy, is the, is the main eyewitness that saw the struggle. Oh, my so Lord. He, he told when he told investigators when they arrived, when he had to make a statement, that was the statement that he made. Oh and when they did God. the toxicology, like Randy tested positive for nicotine because that's what he did. And then Acock tested positive for, I don't know. I was trying to think of something funny to say. Chevy Chase in the 1980s. He tested positive for cocaine. Motor oil. Yeah. Uh, wow. So if you have anything to weigh in on about this whole story, uh, get involved. We are the story guys at gmail.com. You can get involved at our website. We are the story guys.com. And if you have other uh, stories you want us to investigate and be able to uh, paint the picture a little more clearly as to what happened around something you've heard about or something you've always wondered about, we are happy to do it. This is one hell of a story, Murdoch. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I was really excited just to tell you the basics about it. But what always happens to Brian and I is once we we do a little digging to to tell you the story, we always learn something a little more 
a little more about the story ourselves. Oh yeah, um, which is why we we love uh, we love telling these stories to you. Man, that is totally true. Uh, let's let's go out on um, Mr. Crowley live from the Blizzard of Oz tour. This solo, listen to the amazing Randy Rhodes. Hey, keep telling stories.